0: Uh, And if you want, you can open up your Bible. Uh, We encourage you to follow along as we uh, walk through verse by verse each week. We're going uh, now, we're at Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7 is where we'll be this week. Before we read that together though, um, just ask you to maybe recall, if you can, and maybe maybe you you still haven't done this, but maybe you can remember the time when you learned to ride a bike. You remember when you first learned to ride a bike? Uh, I I don't remember learning myself. I do remember teaching one of my younger siblings and then now teaching our daughter to do that. It's a... It's quite. Most of us, when we first learn to ride a bike, we have training wheels on it, right? That's the easiest way to learn because to just start off balancing a vehicle with only two wheels on it is challenging. And so we put these training wheels, one on each side, and that really helps out. But then the time comes when either we or a parent decides, hey, it's time to take the training wheels off. And so they come out, and we did it with Annika right here at the church parking lot. Um, And we put one hand on the handlebar and one hand under the seat. You know how you do that? And you kind of support them for a while. And then they have that exhilarating feeling of, uh, I'm really doing this. I'm going somewhere. And then there's that fearful feeling when you look back and realize the hand is not on the handlebar or under the seat anymore. And you're just going on your own. And so it's kind of this exhilarating fear kind of thing. And it's not always pretty. Uh, More than likely, if you remember when you first learned how to ride a bike, there were some accidents. I remember my brother one time going right into a light pole. Like it was just one little pole and it was like all wide open, but that's exactly where he steered it. Ran into the light pole. My sister one time, and I I texted her and asked her if I could share this this morning. Um, But my sister one time in learning how to ride a bike, she got the balance thing down really well, but she didn't remember, she got flustered, didn't remember how the brakes worked. Um, and so, uh, she actually, again, could have gone anywhere, but she goes right into my neighbor's yard who at that point was in her eighties and ran into our neighbor, knocked her over, causing her to go to the hospital. Um, and, uh, and my sister said, I can share that as long as it's for the good of the kingdom in some way. Um, and so maybe, maybe it will be, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but but it's, it's hard. When you first learn riding a bike, you just expect there's going to be some scratches, scrapes, bruises, and that kind of thing. But it's worth it, right? Because it's not good to continue riding on training wheels your whole life. This, this morning, we're going to look at this passage where the focus starts to shift a little from Jesus to his disciples. And it's time for the disciples to take the training wheels off, at least for a short period of time. They've been accompanying Jesus in His ministry for quite some time, and now Jesus is going to give them a few days to kind of go on a test run on their own, see how they do what He's been calling them to do. And I think this will apply to us, because I think if we're honest... A lot of us are pretty comfortable with training wheels. Some of you have been riding with training wheels for quite some time. You've been in the church maybe for many years. You've gone to many worship services, attended many Sunday school classes, been at many Bible studies. And now you're wondering, do you think it's time? Do you think I'm ready yet to take off the training wheels and start making some disciples? And I would say the time is yes, and perhaps we'll be encouraged by this passage here this morning. And so in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13 is where we'll be this morning. And so if you're able to, let's stand as I read God's word. Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out, two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts Shorter passage today, Uh, three points, you'll see them on the back of your bulletin. There's an outline, if it helps you to take notes or follow along there, you can. First point is just focusing on the mission. What is the mission that Jesus has called them on? We actually, I want to look very quickly, we ended last week in verse 6. Remember, Jesus had gone back to his hometown of Nazareth and was rejected largely by most of the people there. They had constructed this box that they put Jesus in and thought he must stay there. And then Jesus, it says, at the end of verse 6, And he went about among the villages teaching. Jesus left that place and he did not stop his mission. He did not let his mission be hindered in any way by these people. He continued on to other communities in which he could share the gospel. Jesus' ministry was primarily about teaching. We've seen Him do all sorts of different things, but Jesus primarily came to teach. It was about the message. And then we see in verse 7 that He does something that He's been doing all throughout Scripture. It says, verse 7, look at this, And He called the twelve and began to send them out. Okay. All throughout Scripture we've seen God do this that He calls people to Himself, and then He sends them out. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Remember the promise to Abraham. He calls Abraham to Himself, makes a promise that He will make him into a great nation, uh, out of which comes the twelve tribes of Israel. And so those twelve are called to Him and then sent out by Him in order that they might be a blessing and a light to the nations. God's been doing this all throughout Scripture, and we see it again here. That these disciples are now becoming apostles. They're becoming sent out ones. That's what apostle means. It means sent out ones. Okay? So Jesus is now sending these guys out. But notice in verse 7, he called, them, he called the twelve and began to send them out. Listen how he's doing it. He's doing it two by two. Now that's not the most efficient. Like if you're thinking, i got this area, this territory I want to cover. I want as many people as possible to hear this message the best way to do it would be to separate it into twelve and send them out one by one. But Jesus is sending out two by two here. And we don't get an explanation as to why, but we do see this happening in other places in Scripture. You remember maybe in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas go out together on mission. And later on, you might even remember that we see in Acts chapter 15, the two don't get along very well anymore. But instead of sending just Mark, or just just Paul out alone, and just Barnabas out alone. They each get a partner. Barnabas goes out with Paul, and um, no, sorry, Barnabas goes out with Mark, and Paul gets Silas, and the church sends those out two by two, right? And so we see this pattern of being sent out two by two all throughout Scripture. It kind of makes sense, I think. You know, as they're being sent out at the beginning of the mission, for sure. I don't know. Anybody here learned to ride a unicycle before you learned to ride a bicycle? Probably not. That's hard. Like you usually start with two wheels, right? And then go down to one. I think that's kind of the concept here. It might have also been for safety, for accountability, for encouragement. This is going to be a tough thing that they were going to do. So Jesus sends them out two by two. I think we need to recognize as we start to look now at the mission that God has called us to, that this mission is not something that we need to do alone. We kind of live in this individualistic culture, where we think that when God calls us to do something, it's just on us to do that. And it is. We need to take individual personal responsibility, but we also need to recognize that God doesn't send us out on this mission alone. So what is this mission that he's sending us on? Uh, let's look. Uh, actually, we'll skip ahead at verses 12 to 13, where we really get the nature of the mission itself. In Verse 12, it says this. So they went out. What are they going to do? They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That's number one. That's the first thing that they're sent out to do. This mission that God calls them on, He proclaims, they are to proclaim that people should repent. God's mission is first of all about proclaiming. We can do a lot of other stuff, but it all really boils down to proclaiming. If we're not doing any proclaiming, then we're missing out on the point of God's mission. We need to be telling people, they need to repent. That's the message. That's the content that they need to repent. Because listen, people that are not currently submitting their lives to Jesus as Lord, if they, don't re- if they don't hear the message calling them to repent, then they won't repent. They need to hear the message that says, repent, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus. And that is a message that has to come with words. I might step on your toes here because you might really like this because a lot of people really like this. But there's that phrase that's been in the church for many centuries, actually, um, that that says in the band that came to town, um, they even named themselves after it uh, a couple weeks back, Unspoken. Uh, And and the the phrase is, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. I don't like that. Um, Maybe you like that and I know what they're trying to say and, and maybe you like it because of what they're trying to say. They're trying to say... You need to live a life that points to Jesus. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense to say preach, because preaching is a a verbal act. Preach the gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news is communicated via words, right? Nobody's going to look at you watching you live your really nice life where you're really nice and loving to a lot of people and decide to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. That has to come Through words, the gospel, the good news, has to be declared with words. Example of this: um, we just recently got a membership to the Dale Howard Family Activity Center. Okay, so I can go and when it's not nice outside, I can go run inside. And so I was running on the treadmill, and the first couple times I came, they have TVs up there, and what was on TV was the news. Uh, And they actually have closed captioning, but I'm bouncing too much when I'm running, and I can't read that uh, while I'm running. And so I was watching the the news and I knew there was news being proclaimed I knew there was something there but I had no idea what the content of the news was really because there weren't any words there were just people doing things right but I brought my earbuds subsequently and I plugged them into this little thing they have and you can hear the words of the the news made a lot more sense when I plugged in my earbuds, right? I needed some words in order for the news to make sense to me. The gospel is, at its core, good news. And news needs to be proclaimed with words. Okay? And so that's what the disciples are being called to do here. They're going to proclaim that people everywhere should repent. Okay? It requires words. I'm not saying at all that it doesn't also require that you live a life worthy of the gospel that you're proclaiming, right? We ought to do that. That that goes without saying. But we can't say we can preach without using words. Preaching requires words. If you looked at Romans chapter 10, go ahead and turn there really quick. We want people to call in the name of the Lord and be saved, right? And so, how does that happen? Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good news. How does that happen? Verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We need to be a people at the core of our mission, at the core of what God has called us to, is not simply to live a good life in front of others. That is part of what He's called us to. But He has called us to use words to proclaim the message. Because people cannot call in the name of the Lord if they don't believe in the Lord. And they cannot believe in the Lord if they do not hear about the Lord. And they cannot hear about the Lord if we do not preach to them about the Lord. And they cannot preach unless somebody's sent. And so Jesus here is sending His disciples and He sends us out to primarily proclaim the message of the Gospel, to proclaim that people should repent. That's what He sends the disciples out to. Now, there are also other things they're doing. You can look at verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They had these miraculous gifts given to them by God. But these were given that their ministry and that their teaching might be authenticated. Okay, they, they did these miracles in order that, not just to impress people, and not just to heal people, and not just to cast out demons, but in order that people might receive and hear the message that they have to give. Miracles authenticate the message or the messenger. Okay, So, you think, now, this mission, mission that Jesus is sending them out to, pretty big deal. They ought to be prepared. Like, time you go out on an important mission, you make sure that you have packed everything well. I've been on, like, a, a, a canoeing trip up to the boundary waters. You're going to be up there, and you don't have access to convenience stores and grocery stores. You need to be sure that you pack really well for the trip, right? So what does Jesus tell the disciples to pack as they go out on this important mission? That's where we get to verses 8 and 9. What are the mechanisms for the mission? Verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. What is Jesus doing here? They're going out on this important mission and He's limiting what they can take. Why would Jesus do that? Why does Jesus say to them, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this, just go. Get your staff, because you're going to be doing some walking. Put on your sandals, because you're going to be doing some walking, and go. And he says, don't take this, don't take this. I think the application for us in this is that we need to recognize that the mission that God has called us on, sometimes we think that some things are required of us that aren't really required for the mission. That, That especially in our culture, We tend to carry a a bit too much luggage. You know what I'm saying? That 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 I would think as the disciple. If I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, you really think we're ready for this? No training wheels anymore. Well, I got to pack my commentaries, some Bible study tools, some sermon notes. I got I got to pack like that that how to share the gospel, how to proclaim repentance app. I got to be sure I got that downloaded on my iPad. Jesus, if it's go time, I want to be ready, right? But Jesus says, no, don't take this, don't take that. The truth is, the more stuff we have, the less dependent and the more independent we think we are. And the less stuff that we have, the more dependent we have to be. Right? God is asking, Jesus is asking his disciples here to be dependent. We get very much too quickly attached to things, especially in our culture. Often it's things that we buy. Some people have, have thought, I think, you know, as we share with them, like, I don't have a smartphone yet. I probably get one someday. We don't have a TV in our house. People think that's, that's strange. And then people always feel like they have to apologize to us for why they have a TV, right? Like, you don't have to apologize. We don't think TVs are evil. That's not why we don't, that's not why we don't have a TV. We just are looking right now in our life at the mission that God has called us to, And a TV would be kind of some extra baggage that's not required for us to fulfill that mission that God's called us to. Uh, not Not that I wouldn't enjoy it. I'm sure I'd enjoy it. That's the problem. I'd probably enjoy it all too much, and it would distract me from being focused on the mission that God has called me to. And I don't need that distraction, so we just don't have it. At one point early on in our marriage, when I grew up, my my parents didn't let us have like a video game system in the house. Like we didn't have a Nintendo like every other kid had, right? Uh, So I didn't get to do that. So when I got to college, And I could do whatever I wanted. That was one of my rebellious things, right? Like I played a lot of video games. And so early on in our marriage, uh, we didn't buy a system because we didn't have the money to do that. But I installed some games on my computer, EA sports games like Madden, uh, NBA Live, that kind of stuff, right? So I do all this stuff. And I bought a controller so it was just like a PlayStation on my computer. And I spent too much time with that. And then I would say like, oh, I'm spending too much time. God's called me right now to be a husband and a seminary student. And then later a, a new pastor. I don't have time for this. And so I'd cut back for a little bit. And then I'd just go right back to it. It was like, oh, I need an outlet. It's really stressful. And so this is my outlet. And I go to that. And I got to the point where I was just like, you know what? I'm not very good at managing this, this thing. And so I just need to do away with it. So, so I threw it in the trash and it was gone. And I don't do that anymore. Uh, so there's, there's things like that that I think we need to look at and say, God, is there some baggage? Is there some luggage in my life? Are there some things that are just sucking away life in my life that are actually distracting me from the mission? I don't know what it is for you. There's a lot of potential things. Uh, there's, I think I put a slide of uh, weapons of mass distraction. Um, they, though one of those might be something... Uh, that, that is a weapon of mass distraction for you. Like you just, I, just, I just go back to this all the time, right? Okay. A lot of mechanisms that uh, we think we might need for the mission that in reality we don't need. But it's not that Jesus sent them out with nothing. I kind of skipped over something in verse 7 that Jesus did send them with. Look back to verse 7. He called the twelve, began to send them out two by two, and He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. These guys didn't have great resumes built up. They didn't have a great level of understanding, a great level of experience. They weren't maybe the people that you would have chosen to go on this important mission, but Jesus chose them not because of their ability, and He didn't send them out with their own ability, like, hey, I hope you guys can make this happen. He sent them out with something very important, more important than any of the things that are listed in verse 8. More important than bread or bags or money in their belts, he sends them out with authority. We have a lot of excuses for kind of rejecting God's sending. Here's why I don't share the gospel verbally with other people, God. I don't know exactly what to say. Or I'm I'm scared I might say the wrong thing, right? I don't know what to say. I might say the wrong thing. I might get rejected. And you know what the truth is? You probably won't always know what to say. You probably will say the wrong thing, and you probably will get rejected, right? But thankfully, God sending us out is not dependent on our level of comfortability and our level of training. God sends us out based on His authority. You might remember in the Great Commission, most of us have maybe even memorized the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. But you you notice that that starts with the word therefore. Therefore, go and make disciples. Well, like you know, like English teachers say, when you see a therefore, you got to ask what the therefore is. Therefore, and what's the therefore? Therefore, why does he say therefore go and make disciples? What comes right before that? Before our command to go out and make disciples, before Jesus gives us the mission, what comes right before that? Jesus says, behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That our mission is not dependent on our ability. The mission that God has called us on is dependent on primarily the authority of Jesus. That's what gives us confidence to go out. You don't go out with confidence because you've done this a lot and you got this down and you know you're going to do it right. You go out with confidence because Jesus has all authority. The other thing that they're having to depend on besides the authority of Jesus, though, is the generosity of others. Notice this. Jesus says, don't take any bread. Do you need bread when you're out on your own away from home? Do you need something to eat? Yes. So why does Jesus say don't take bread? It's because they need to depend on the generosity of others to share bread with them wherever they go. And then Jesus says, don't take any money. Do you need money when you're out on a mission somewhere? Yes. Why does Jesus say not to take any money? Because those that they go to stay with will provide for them. And they have to trust and depend on the generosity of others. Jesus says not to take two tunics. The reason you would take two tunics, it's kind of like overcoat kind of things, the reason you would do that is because you'd use one of them to wear and the other one would be your blanket at night when you slept outside. Jesus is saying, you're going to have a place to stay. You don't need two tunics. They need to depend on the generosity of others. I just need to, to say to you, I mean, part of the reason that we take an offering every Sunday morning, like we just did, is to give you an opportunity to give each week so that, the mission that, of God that, that is, the mission that God has given to this church is able to be supported. It's dependent on the generosity of people, right? I mean, the only income that my family receives comes as a result of your generous giving. So thank you. For that. We have to be dependent on the generous giving of God's people in order that we can eat and live. Thank you for that. The missionaries that we support all around the world are dependent on the generosity of us as a church family giving so that they might accomplish the mission that God has given to them. Okay, so we've got the disciples sent out on a mission by Jesus, two by two, with the authority of Jesus to do miracles and proclaim that people should repent, but how are they going to do it? That's the last point. What is the method of the missionaries? How are they going to go about doing this? Verse 10. Now, I thought this verse was weird when I first read it. And I've read it many times and never actually looked like, why does he say that? And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Doesn't that sound kind of funny? Hey, whenever you go somewhere, stay there until you leave. Okay. That, that just seems like a weird commandment. Um, and so I did some looking to figure out what, what is Jesus actually saying here when he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, when you enter a town and you're proclaiming the gospel, doing the mission that I've called you to do, don't hop around wasting all your time looking for better accommodations. You find a house, and they let you in, and they're being hospitable. Then you stay there until you leave that place. You don't spend your time in one city hopping around from house to house looking for better accommodations. Okay? I would love to tell you a story right now if we had time. It's a story of when we went to stay at somebody's house named Marilyn. Uh, If you want to hear that, some of you have heard that story. If you want to hear that story, then like invite me over to your house for coffee or something and I'll tell you. But we don't have time today. Um, But what Jesus is saying is don't be shopping around for the best accommodations. Be content with where you land. Stick it out. If the gospel is being received where you're at, then whether you're getting the continental breakfast that has the waffle maker thing or not, you stay there. It's not about your comfort. It's about the mission that I've called you on. Right? The mission that I've called you on is more important than your comfort. And so, stay where you are. Verse 11. Here's a reality check for them. Getting them ready. People are going to reject you, he says. Look at verse 11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, truth is it's going to look a lot like Nazareth sometimes. Remember when we came there? We had been doing all these miracles, crowds flocking everywhere. We come there and we get rejected. People are rejecting the gospel. People are rejecting me, Jesus says. And he says, you guys expect that too. If you go to a place, they won't listen to you. They won't receive the message. Then what are you to do? Because of the urgency of the mission you just got to leave. Go to the next place. But he says more than that. He says, before you leave, what are they supposed to do? Look at verse 11. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What does that mean? Why are they supposed to do that? Why, when they leave a place and the people reject the gospel, won't listen, won't have it, why are they supposed to shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against them, it says? Well, the Jewish people had been taught, this is their, their ministry here would be to Jewish people, and the Jewish people had been taught that if they were to leave their land and go to a pagan land filled with heathens, right, that when they left that place, they wanted the people there to know, you're dirty, and we don't want any of your dirtiness to come and infect our clean land, and so as we leave, we're going to just shake some dust off of our sandals before we leave We're going to be clean of all that dirtiness, right? That was what they would be communicating. And the Jewish people knew this. And so as the disciples would come and share the gospel, if the people reject the gospel and the disciples would do this as they left their house, they were saying something very, very harsh and offensive to these people. This was a testimony against them. This was a judgment against them saying, you're just like a heathen. You're just like those pagans. I wipe my feet from you and I leave. That sounds pretty harsh. Why does Jesus say to do this? You know, I think there's opportunities for us as we share the gospel. We try and be really nice. And we ought to be loving and sensitive. But sometimes as we share the gospel with other people and they continually reject it, we need to let them know of the judgment that is to come their way if they continue to reject the good news. Right? That that we shy away from talking about judgment and hell because that just sounds... So we just tell them the good news and if they reject it, we say, okay. But sometimes we need to be straight with people and real with people. In the right situation, let them know, here's what comes if you continue to reject the Gospel. There's judgment that's coming. I like this quote from... R.C. Sproul, here's what he says. In the church today, when we do mass evangelism, the standard technique is to offer an invitation after the sermon. We say, as many as would like to respond to Christ, come now. However, we do not usually add, as many as, who would, lo- as, many as would like not like to respond to Christ, go to hell. But the gospel is a two-edged sword. If we receive it, the benefit is eternal life. But if we reject it fully and finally, we do so to our everlasting peril we don't like to talk about judgment but sometimes as we share the gospel that is something that might be required of us that we let people know should you continue to live in your sin and reject the good news reject the lordship and salvation that comes in christ then there is judgment that will come so jesus tells his disciples shake the dust off your sandals as a testimony against them as you leave so in closing just ask is it time to take the training wheels off are you ready to be sent out are you ready to be rejected if that's what it takes are you ready to tell people the hard truths about the gospel even if it requires talking about judgment ministry is hard that's all there is to it the mission that god has called us to seems even impossible But as we obediently go out, we go out together, depending on the generosity of others and the authority of Jesus. And we proclaim to all people everywhere the good news that they must repent and they can repent and turn to Jesus in faith and be saved. We like the stories of Jesus' power and and, and might, his tender compassion. We've been going over those over the last weeks and we've loved hearing those stories. It's harder to swallow stuff like this. Discipleship following Jesus is costly. We're going to look at that next week. I'm excited about the passage next week. You know, we don't even find out how this goes for the disciples. It's kind of weird. We end in verse 13. They're going out and they're doing this. But do they come back? We find out that they do come back, but we don't find out about that until verse 30. And stuck in between verse 13 and verse 30 is this story. And it's not there on accident. It's a story of John the Baptist. And Mark is trying to help us. He's trying to highlight for us the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is potentially very high because the Jesus we follow paid a high price so that we might be made His. That's what brings us to communion today. To remember the the, the price that was paid by Jesus to make us His own. And so, elders, if you could just come forward and prepare to serve us as they come forward, let's just uh, pray together as we prepare for communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the challenge. It's kind of sobering. I'm even to think in my own life of all the excuses I can come up with, with as to why I don't more often verbally proclaim the gospel to people. And I'm sure people here sitting here this morning might have similar excuses to me. God, would you help us by your grace to shed some of the things that are hindering us, some of the things that are distracting us for the, from the mission, some of the excuses that we have to keep us away from the mission that is primarily centered around proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news, using our words to tell people, God, our hope is that people might call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So, God, thank you for giving me the chance to share this morning this passage in which Jesus' disciples are sent out, that our church might know that we are also sent out, sent out to preach, so that through our preaching people might hear, and through hearing they might believe, and that through believing they might be saved and call on the name of the Lord. God, we want to see... More and more lost people come to faith in Christ and we know it's dependent at least in part on us being faithful to the mission that you've called us to. So help us to do that. And God, now as we shift our attention to what you have done, which is way more important than anything that we can do. We don't have a gospel to proclaim if we didn't have the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ to remember. That's the core. That's the essence of the good news that we proclaim. So God, I pray that you would help us to remember, that it would affect not just our minds, but our hearts as we remember you, remember what you have done for us taking communion this morning. In Jesus' name.